This is out of bounds. This is out of bounds. What the hell is that in your hand there? It's a Because you're number one, John Alba. You're number one. number one. Well, I think we're all here number one at Out of Bounds. It's your Monday stop for the weird, wacky, wild, and sports world. I'm John Alba. That's me, O'Brien, and we are matching in Burgundy this week. What's going on, Mia? Not much. Uh, very excited for our toast as uh, I have a new drink I'm about to try. Uh, my, uh, my, my my boyfriend, Kevin, is very into BOGO these days. He calls it his BOGO era and uh, very excited to dive into whatever that is. Um, but yeah, coming Whoa. off the heels of a nice little Atlanta trip. Atlanta, and, uh, go ahead. I heard you wanted to put over the battery. What's that? I heard you wanted to put over the battery. Oh, I, I, my thing is like, I went on a couple rants today on the radio about just like, I look at the battery and I'm like, if you're Jacksonville, if you're any of these cities that's debating whether or not to get a new stadium, why wouldn't you want one of these entertainment dr- districts? I'm not saying they all turn out as perfectly as the battery, but Lordy, John, that is a spot if I've ever seen it. Such a vibe. But it does boil down to who's paying for it, too. And- yeah, and also part of it, and we had this discussion on the radio today, the fact of the matter is, is like what we're talking about in Jacksonville is not physically moving the entertainment and stadium district. There was a lot of backlash in Atlanta for leaving the south south part of the city, mm-hmm. leaving an area that for some who are more, um, you know, in certain socioeconomic groups, it's not as readily available to drive 30 minutes outside the city to this little Disney world spot. Yeah, that was a pretty controversial situation, but uh, from all accounts, from what I've seen, it it seems like a great ballpark out there. I've not been down there. I did see those renovation plans that the Jaguars put forth. You mean the Chicago bean as a stadium? Yeah, it does. I mean, it steals a lot from SoFi too, but I think it will be very interesting to see if that actually happens. I think it's probably going to take a little more private funding before it gets the full green light, but should be interesting to see what you guys. It should be noted, John. And I do want to make sure we get this on the record that when it comes to that shot con as of now is looking to go 50, 50 with the city of Jacksonville, which if you look at the most recent stadium uh, creation and renovation projects around the NFL, almost all of them are 60, 40. And while you look at this and you're like, the man is worth $12 billion. Like he he's literally worth the the city's generating revenue like three times, you know, each year, like four times over Um, at the same time, the fact that, you know, he already is saying he will put more of a bill than what those other with Buffalo, what Nashville has already been agreed to um, and the NFL owners, he wouldn't do that unless he knew that he would get the 24 vote majority that the NFL owners would sign off on it. I mean, that, that bodes well, in my opinion, like kind of surprisingly for the city of Jacksonville. I just always assume that Jerry Jones and company are out to get little old Jacksonville. If you're rich enough to own a professional football team, you're rich enough to build a stadium. That's all I will say to that. And I like the cons, you know, I do. It's just my way of saying that. If you got comments on that or anything else we talk about here on Out of Bounds, you can leave a super chat in the YouTube chat if you're watching there. Or, of course, head over to kynchat.com. You leave a chat, a super chat specifically, you'll get it read on air. But if you're just watching on YouTube, you can do the same thing there, too. If you're watching on Twitter, tweet at us. Let us know what is on your mind as we talk about the weird, wacky, and wild in all of the sports world. That's how you get your comments 
read on air here. Now, Mia, uh, you mentioned the toast. I've got a different beverage, too, that I'll be sporting. Ooh. It seems like you've got a toast in mind. So by all means, I'm, I'm open to hearing what is your toast. Oh, my toast is simply to uh, the, the summer months rolling in. Mm-hmm. And as much as, you know, sometimes we feel bogged down by, Oh, is this project done or is that project done? You know, trying to have perspective, John, and recognize that I've got a couple vacations in the next month and a half. And, you you know, even though we found out today when uh, when Doug Peterson, this was actually hilarious. um, It was right around the time you texted me to get the rundown popping for today's show. Um, I was in the press conference with Doug, Jaguars head coach, and uh, I just threw out there because I knew we wanted to talk a little bit about the next time we speak to him. It will be in the new Miller Electric Performance Center, the new practice facility the Jaguars have built, which will be ready for training camp at the end of July. And I was like, do you have any dates for us? And he goes, oh, yeah, I actually have a few. And he just rattled off like, so we're in the building this day. Uh, we're going to have fans starting this day. We're going to have like I'm like sitting there like, can you give me your blood type and your, your social security number while you're at it, Dougie? Um, but. He says all that, and then uh, it hits me that, you know, in consulting with the Jacksonville Jaguars, I had scheduled my return flight from my San Diego trip um, that I will now, little did I realize, be returning on a red eye the morning of the first practice on the field. Um, You know what, John? You know what, John, though? Mia of five years ago would be panicked, would change her flight. Sure. You want to know me now? I say... You don't if I'm late to the first practice, don't pet the sweaty things. Exactly. Bingo. Bingo. And so with that, I say hello to Bay. I don't even know what the antioxidant. Uh, I ate, you're not I even a, really drinking here. I ate a lot of a lot of fried foods. This OK, weekend. well, guess what? I am drinking. I've got these fantastic new Arizona, Arizona. Ooh, hard I love those. these are unreal. These just came out. Let me get some ASMR for all you folks here. Ready? Listen up. Listen up. Oh, there it is. Cheers to those summer months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And cheers to news like this not breaking hours after we do a show. Holy moly. I do have a story about when this news broke, but continue, okay. John. The PGA announced a merger with Live Golf and DP last week to create a super tour in the name of, quote, unified golf. Since then, PGA Tour head Jay Monahan has come under Tons of scrutiny for the move and how it all went down. It would be far too perilous for us to go detail by detail. So I will just simply ask you, Mia O'Brien, what is the absolute wildest part about this proposed merger for you? The wildest part was that I had locked myself out of my home. Yes. At, I did at see 10 a.m. last Tuesday. And... I convinced my boyfriend. He said, no problem. I'll, I'll hop. Like my, my 10 a.m. meeting got canceled. I'll be there in 20 minutes. I'll let you in. Like, we'll be good. My next meeting isn't until 11. We're good. So I go, okay, sweet. So I go, well, at the very least, as I'm sitting in the driveway, I can access my Wi-Fi. And so I go, all right. And I sit down, John Alba, and I whip out my laptop. And that was the first thing I saw. And I went, well, this is about to be a very busy 20 minutes sitting in the driveway. Mm-hmm. Um, because yikes. Um, a lot of, lot of things on this, um, especially the fact that the PGA and that conversation um, happening two and a half miles from where I was sitting in my driveway. Fun facts. Um, so, yeah, lots of fun there. Um, for me, the, the, the biggest disappointment is the fact that, and I see some of our commenters on YouTube are saying it, that guys like Rory McIlroy, guys like Tiger Woods, Tony Finau, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, John Rahm, 
they all stood up and said, yes, we agree. Like, this is not, these are not the people you want to be associated with. You should not be taking money no matter what the cost is because ethically it is wrong. And it was ethically wrong until the money got turned around and got put in Jay Monahan and the PGA Tours pockets. And now I say all that. And listen, there, there is also an argument to be made of if someone was to come to you, John Alba, and say, I'm going to pay you $3 billion, would you accept it regardless of where it was from, so long as it was real, actual money? There's also that argument to be made. Um, and, and that's the problem, is it was okay when someone else was accepting the money, or excuse me, it wasn't okay when someone else was accepting it, but now that you are accepting you it- You have the opportunity. Right, correct. And so that's where it's wrong. I am personally, and I- Listen, I, over my five years of working in Jacksonville and working closely for the Players' Championship with Jay Monahan, I thought the guy was an innovator and a leader in the sport over the past four years, especially when it came to managing the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, listen, I've never had anything but nice things to say about the guy. And so I was blindsided. Like, what? Um, but at the same time... I will also raise my hand and say I am stunned he still has a job today, John. I am stunned that after that players well, meeting last well, week how that could he has not be been stunned, out. Mia, when he brought this money in, regardless of what the morals are, regardless of whether or not there is a backbone, the bottom line is that the bottom line for the players is about to increase substantially as well as tour viability. Now, there are a myriad of other issues that could come with this. Uh, should this go through right now? Again, this has not been finalized yet. There will be antitrust lawsuits looked at. There will be, oh, the U.S. government may even look into this individually, case by case here, in the micro sense and say, hey, this isn't going to happen. But the craziest part about it all for me was the fact that the players were left in the dark on all of this. They found out on Twitter. Just they like found us. out the same way all of us did. And it also CNBC being the first one to report it was not on my bingo card. No, see, that very much was on my bingo card. I'm not surprised by that at all, especially because I came from the realm of where this all just happened with WWE and the people who are in tune with these types of moves are the business people. It's not the sports reporters. It's the business people. You know, CNBC had the exclusive because they have the connections with the PIF. They have the connections with the, people who were in charge of all this public trading. So I wasn't so much blown away by that. I just couldn't believe that you had these faces of the game who you told, hey, like, do the right thing, finding out in real time, just like all of us. I couldn't fathom that you would burn the trust, any trust that you had built up with the players that are going to be the featured guys on your promotion it blew my mind. I was also angry that my fantastic tweet. There it is. Please break down the tweet for those who may not be familiar. Oh, I just said, I mean, I tweeted this like the moment I saw it. I was like, man, this live merger with PGA is like when Dunder Mifflin reabsorbed the Michael Scott paper company. And then, of course, it got ripped by a million people. I'm sorry. That was a unique comparison I made. Annie Agar, we're calling you out. <laughs> Agar, however you pronounce your name. It is what it is. I don't care. But I just couldn't believe that the PGA would torch any good faith that it had built up with any of these players for a sport that has struggled in viability. It has struggled to find its next superstar after the decline of Tiger Woods. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. 
I mean, one of our YouTube commenters just commented this too. And again, you could of course leave a super chat and that's when we'll read it on air. Um, Jay Monahan got bought, whether you want to admit it or not. And now I think it's going to become a game of whose league is it anyway? What is the next step? Um, and where does the, if this is approved by the United States government, where it goes from here, I do think that first of all, it will be exciting that you could see Brooks Kepka again on major American networks and not the CW with all due respect to the CW, um, ditto to Cam Smith, ditto to Phil Mickelson because he still moves the needle. If he's in contention, John, I don't think that can be dismissed. Um, but I think what's going to be fascinating now is so long as this does actually happen, what happens to the PGA calendar? We know purses will be elevated. They already were. They will be elevated further because of this influx of money, which is good for the players inherently, or so they tell us. Um, but now it'll be curious to see, number one, do you see the tour itself expand internationally? Well, yeah. Where like, are there's we more a few years from now where they're like, this a tradition unlike any other, this is the Masters coming to you. From the beautiful city of Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Like, is no, that no, it's this thing. I don't. That's not going to change. But I do. You, could they go to Saudi? That? You confident? No, no. I'm not saying the Masters specifically, but you confident that the PGA? Champions- no, no. That's what I'm about to say. I is I think they could be in Saudi Arabia the week before the Masters, playing in a tournament that is separately sh- sanctioned. It's a different, you know, royal this, that, and the other bank open and then they play the masters the next week that's what i think is possible and if you take out saudi arabia and you replace it with rio de janeiro or new zealand if they had the means of getting those players to or golfers excuse me to those locales then if anything john they could spin this to a positive because it's much like the nba going to china and expanding the reach of the organization and so that's one side of it for me the other side of it that i think gets overlooked because it was so Liv versus PGA. Liv was playing golf in teams. Mm -hmm. And now the question is, do the teams completely go away? I think this actually opens up an opportunity for the PGA Tour where during those football months where the PGA Tour hits a lull because they're not going to compete with the mighty NFL and mighty college football. That's when they could do these team events. And I think, well, yes, it's not going to get the numbers at the Masters or the U.S. Open well this weekend. I do think you would see a little bit of traction at the very least because, you know, if, if let's say the 3 o'clock window is awful for college football and you see that the team of Rory McIlroy, Phil Mickelson, and Bryson DeChambeau and That's Justin right. Thomas That's is, like, like, killing it. You're going to be like, oh, like wow, let me go like, look at this. Sounds like what? a hell of an outing there. It's uh, a group of characters. Uh, look. Right. Listen, this is going to happen for years to come. It is just the beginning of all of this. Uh, some of these guys looked horrible bending over backwards. Oh, mistakes are made. You're talking about 9-11. I mean, this is, uh, things look bad. But my bold prediction, and we can wrap the topic on this, is that we are not far off. I'm, I'm saying within five years, Saudi Arabia, the PIF, will own a major professional sports team in America. I feel very confident in that. They already own manchester city like Mm -hmm. this is not something that i think is far off i think it's on the horizon and now it just becomes the new normal and how do you weed through that and where do you draw a line of hypocrisy versus not it's just the new normal i don't see it going anywhere bold prediction time then since you said it will tyler hero play for the miami heat tonight in game five of the nba finals john uh, as of now, I don't think he's going to, but we'll probably. Oh, okay, because I saw a recent rep- or a report this afternoon that he's at least going to give it a go. Um, he Maybe was officially he up. 
yeah, he was officially upgraded to questionable this morning. Um, he is expected to dress and try to play. Again, warm-ups are about to get underway at Ball Arena in Denver. Uh, Hero has been out since April 16th. He broke his right hand game one of the first playoff game of the playoffs. Or no, that wasn't the first one. Yes, that wasn't the play-in. It was the first, it was the first game of the first round against the Bucks. So after the playing game. Regardless, John, Tyler Hero still doesn't feel that good. He had his hand surgically repaired less than two months ago, but he wants to give it a go with his team trailing three to one to the best team in the NBA throughout the course of this season, the Denver Nuggets. Is it worth it for them to risk their young star and play him? No, I don't. I don't don't think it is. I understand you want him out there, but you're not going to get a Herculean effort from him. It's just not logistically plausible. Could he be a guy that serves as a decoy of sorts? On the court, sure, he certainly can. But would you want to risk the long-term health of a guy like this? And we're going to talk about long-term health in a little bit on this program, too. This is a guy who's going to be a staple of your franchise on a team that we've already talked about. Like, do they have the stars? I just I think it's a bad idea. And I understand your season's on the line. You're in the NBA Finals. You don't know if you're going to get back there. But I think that is a really, really risky thing that you're doing and i understand he wants to play he's a gamer i get that kudos to him i just don't see there being a whole lot of upside to this Mia. my thing is does he really move the needle that much does he give you that much i mean he was playing great basketball before getting hurt he was he averaged 20 points per game this season which is uh two points behind bam or two points behind jimmy butler's average and only 0.3 behind bam out of bio so obviously he would be a third scorer for you but if he can't handle the ball, what's he get, like? I mean, can he can he hold the ball and and, and shoot? Like I I don't know. It's it's not like it's your. I mean, it's not like you know. I've seen you know. We saw who was it with the nose or the eye? There was somebody in the last few NBA Finals. I somebody. Mean, I mean, I was thinking of Rip Hamilton with the right Rip Hamilton or even Joel Embiid during the playoffs. Yeah. Like it sounds awful, but like your nose, you could still find a way to play. Because as long as you can actually shoot, you're fine. Um, I a toe, yeah, you can't run, but at least you can shoot. You can catch and shoot. I wish um, Aaron Judge could play with his. Well, toe that's situation. a story for another time. That's a story for another time. Um, and but then here's the other thing, John. And I'm glad a, a commenter on YouTube just kind of hinted at this. Here's the other thing: is that if you bring back Tyler Hero and he's awful then that all the more reason says we need to go out and get Dame Lillard. Well, and but also- because we don't have a big three and we have only ever won an NBA. Well, not, not only, but we have won our NBA championships when we had our big threes. If you want to count Dwayne Wayne Shack. I was trying to come up with a three there and then I, that's a backtrack. Um, but the point is, is that it, it would suggest that he is not a star. He is not one of them ones. And so now we need to go get somebody else. And for what it's worth, I mean, maybe he's trade bait. Well, and but on top of that, you bring him back and you're risking making yourself worse. You're risking him going out there and handicapping you to a, a point where it damages your offensive fluidity. I understand there have been games where Denver has owned this, but it's not like Miami has been completely incompetent in this series. They have shown signs where they can compete here. And a lot of times Denver is its own undoing. So don't give them any extra leverage play here to work with. I just think it's a bad idea. And I understand that desire to compete. And I truly think if the heat had a healthy Tyler hero, we're talking about a series that 
is a lot more competitive overall. But I just don't think the long-term play is there in trying to find a short-term answer. It just doesn't. You already won a game in the series without him. It can be done. And you also won that game without a fully healthy Caleb Martin. Like, just Mm -hmm. imagine if he didn't have the flu or whatever it was those first two games. So if you're already – I mean, he obviously is – he was healthy for game four and three to an extent. Um, But still, if he's not 100%, why would you trot another guy out there who's physically – like, not just sick – he literally physically may not be able to handle the ball properly. So, yeah, I wouldn't play him either, um, but I, I guess they want to indicate to their fans that they are pushing all their chips to the middle of the table. But I think the reality is Miami Heat fans are just happy to be here. I would agree with that. Do you think Denver puts it away in yes, this game? I do. I, yeah. I want them to because I would love nothing more than to see the good people of Denver get to celebrate on their home court. Um, first time making the NBA Finals. They were one of six franchises that had never made it to the championship series. Um, they are a fan base that believes they've been so maligned and overlooked despite having a multi-time MVP in Nikola Jokic. Um, they are a team in every facet of the word. I think Michael Malone's a great coach. He's been underrated the last five years. And so, yes, I'm excited to see um, them hopefully do it in front of their home crowd. Jokic punches his ticket to Springfield tonight. That is my... Can I also give you this? Isn't it funny uh, that the Joker, as in not this Joker, the other Joker... Novak. Jokov- yes, correct. Novak Djokovic. He wins his 24th Grand Slam yesterday, which is now the new record among modern tennis players. Mm -hmm. And then the other Joker will now punch his ticket to Springfield one day later. Uh, I feel bad, though, for the the lovely Serbians who uh, they probably have to stay up a little bit later than they would have liked for both of those events. That is very true, but uh, it will be worth it for them. Uh, A man that everyone's home will be worth it for Major League Soccer. This guy, Messi. You just say the last name. You know, business is about to pick up. He's on his way to MLS. He's set to join Inter-Miami by the end of the month. Tickets for his debut have skyrocketed in price, some in the thousands. The get-in, the lowest get-in that I saw today for his expected first appearance, uh, $561 just to stand there. Uh, Will he be the transformative signing that MLS has so badly hoped for that would get it into the mainstream conversation among the major, major, major sports here in America. I like MLS a lot. I had a great time covering it, Mia. But there's no doubt that a guy like Messi could be a potential game changer here. But he won't. He just won't. I think that, you know, and I even saw, and I'm trying to find it right now, um, I saw a report that they've already sold out for like his first five games that he would play with inter Miami. And honestly, John, is it bad that, and maybe it's PTSD from the David Beckham effect or um, the uh, Zlavin or not Zlavin. What's his name? I not Zava. Cause he Ted Lasso. Yes. Exultant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. That one, not Zava. Cause he's from Ted Lasso. He's a fictional character. Ibrahimovich. Thank you. Thank you. There it is. Um, I just have PTSD with regards to these other great hopes to come over to the MLS and it hasn't panned out. And so, yes, I saw that they, they're sold out and this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, it's only going to move the needle for so long because how many games do we actually think he's going to play? Is he going to be a Mike Trout or an Aaron Judge outside of their injury history playing every single day? I just don't 
or every single game. So once a week, once every two weeks, I just don't see it. If anything, John, I saw the report that, oh yeah, yeah. His first five games are sold out now. And the first thing I thought of was Antonio Brown buying the Albany arena football league team and saying he would suit up for the last two games. And in fact, he showed up in a suit and did not play after they sold out. I don't think these things are remotely comparable. I do. I like, listen, do I think Messi will play? Yes. Do I think Messi's the biggest star in the world? Antonio Brown is not that. And no, but but what I'm saying is this, but they sold out. They sold out that Albany Renegades game and sold out the next one. And then he just didn't play. I don't even think those are remotely comparable. I'm just saying false advertising. I don't think there's any false advertising here. Messi's going to play these games. He's coming there for a reason. He's going to be the most marketable guy in the league right away at 35 years old. You're still getting him at the back end of his prime, so you'll still see great soccer from him. He's coming off that amazing World Cup victory as well. There's a lot of equity that Messi brings to MLS. He will make MLS more relevant than it has ever been, even if it's just for a short period of time. It's a matter of how long will he stay? Does it become sustained success? MLS has been putting out a quality product the last few years, especially. Uh, the playoffs have been fantastic the past few years. The MLS Cup has been fantastic the past few years as well. There is more intrigue from international talent coming in and wanting to play for Major League Soccer. And I think that's great. And Miami, you don't want to, you're not going to find a better atmosphere in the United right. States for themselves. Well, that's what I was going to say. Soccer. I think a lot of this is a byproduct of which team he signed with. I think if he signs it with, I don't know. Not even Orlando would count too. Houston, San Jose has a pretty nice um, the revolution. Latino revel, yes, thank or Chicago. Like, are the Columbus Crew still kicking? Like, if he signs with one of them, I'm not sure. Well, certainly their fans are passionate. That's part of how they kept the crew, saved the crew. Um, I just don't see a world in which it's like this transformative moment where they're leading Sports Center every night. I mean, I don't think you're going to see that happening every night. No league has that, even with the best player being the prominent featured star. But I do think that this gets eyes. I mean, when Beckham came over, Beckham was way out of his prime by the time he had come over, but he still brought intrigue. We're talking a guy in Messi who still is in his prime. He's at the back end of his prime, but I just, I, I can't that comparison to Antonio Brown. I don't even think it's remotely comparable here. It's just, we're talking about the I, national did David Beckham his debut, like it was built up and then he like came in on his, he came again, on his Beckham club, was like, on the back end in his interest. He came, MLS, or he came into MLS also because he wanted to get in eventually on ownership group. And that was yeah. a huge thing for him. I don't think that's Messi's motivations here. I think Messi is ready to try a new challenge here in his career. 35 years old again, as I said, I, is it true I, he's getting part ownership too of Inter Miami? So, so okay, so that's been part of the discussion. That's been part of the discourse. But I don't think that owning Inter Miami down the line is his ultimate goal here. I do think this is a guy who has accolades that he wants to check off. He won the World Cup. Now make an impact in the United States. I think again, equity is huge in the sports world. Equity matters significantly, and I think his name value brings so much to the league that it's something that he can put in his back pocket as well. I do think there will be an immediate effect on the league. How big will it be sustained? That is the question that remains to be seen. Let's kick it over to the baseball front uh, because I know 
you have some thoughts on this one, John Alba. The first round of all-star voting totals were released today. Not a single Tampa Bay Ray is in the top two for any position in the American League. Meanwhile, they are on a white-hot pace with a 48-20 and record to set even more records in the second half of the season. MLB all-star game voting is fan-driven. John, is it time to do away with the fan vote and just have the players and the coaches vote for who should be in the all-star game? Absolutely. I think the NBA does it right. I think there's a, there's a with the NBA, there's a fan element to the vote. It takes up a percentage of the vote. And then you have the peers, you have the coaches. I think that's the way to do all-star game voting at the end of the day, because listen, it's an exhibition. The game doesn't matter in a bubble and that's fine. But what does matter is an all-star accolade. People are judged by their Hall of Fame credentials based on, hey, how many All-Star games did you make? That That is something that plays into it. So let's say a guy like Wander Franco for the Rays, who's been fantastic this year, who's in third place in his respective position. Let's say that's a guy 15 years from now we're looking at saying that's that's a potential Hall of Famer. But, oh, he didn't make a few All-Star games because he played for the Tampa Bay Rays for 10-plus years and the fans weren't voting for them. To me, that's just asinine, and I, I can't see any legitimacy to that. It's been long overdue to get the fan vote not taken out entirely, but lessened in terms of its impact. I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it, it's honestly shocking we've gotten this far without a change to the policy. Like, I was honestly surprised when, when I realized that, in fact, yes, um, it, it is truly just the fans. Um, and while certainly you could argue this, John, I think that you almost see more of the guys that you believe are all-stars. A lot of times you see them as the backups because that's where it's the league, it's the coaches, it's the players who are deciding. Now, I do see those in our comments section, which remind the people where they should be leaving comments. John leave, leave a super, you can leave it right there on YouTube, but make sure you send us a super chat because that's how you'll get your comment read on air or you go to kynchat.com as well yes um i see a lot of you who are saying well that's the problem it's it's tampa they don't have fans um they they don't know to vote <laughs> which is disrespectful to the good people of tampa um by the way that city's got more championships than any other city in the last five years so Make yeah, that what it's worth. right. Exactly. But apparently they don't know how to vote in an MLB all-star game because yeah, so okay, but look, the AL, the AL infield is like basically all the Toronto Blue Jays right now. And the Blue Jays are uh, in fourth place in the ALE standings. So and Canada and, you know, for all this talk of, oh, well, the small market team, that's always going to be the Yankees and the Red Sox that are do- and the Dodgers and the Angels that are dominating this voting. You could argue, too. I mean, I know Atlanta is a top 10 media market in the country. Ronald Acuna transcends. Oh, he's having an amazing year. And he's the leading vote getter for either the American or National League. And, I mean, I know this from talking to, to, you know, my boyfriend and also, like, all of his friends. Like, they are all, like, they they play fantasy baseball, John. Like, they, they think Ronald Acuna, like, they are not Braves fans, but they are Ronald Acuna fans in the same vein as they are Fernando Tatis fans in the same vein that so many people were fans of. Let's go back in the way back time machine. Derek Jeter, Vlad Guerrero, whether you actually rooted for those teams or not, 
you've rooted for those individual players. And so that's where I don't believe, well, you know, certainly Derek Jeter played for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. I don't think there should be an excuse of, well, it's the Rays and that, you know, there no one really cares about the Rays. Well, the good thing if you care MLB, about baseball, you should be voting accurately. So that says to me that fans across the board aren't voting. The good thing that MLB does do is they guarantee that every team is represented in the all-star game. You have to have at least one electee, but the Rays deserve several, several. I, I, Randy Rosarina not being in the top three in MLB outfielders, for especially the AL, is insane. He's been incredible this year. It's, even if you want to go back to the World Baseball Classic, that catch that he made in it, like that's what you're trying to build your future on. That's what you're trying to build the game on. And I get the Rays are not the flashiest team in terms of spotlighted names, but they are playing some of the most unbelievable baseball that I've ever seen, ever. This is a team that is as good as any of the best teams that have ever played the game. I think the Tampa Bay Rays are winning the World Series this year. They're that good. And to not be represented, it's a shame. I think MLB really needs to rethink this policy going forward. It wouldn't matter if it was just an exhibition and nobody cared. But because of the fact that we weigh all-star game selections in these major conversations about accolades, I think you have to reevaluate how you do that. I wanted to double-check and make sure Luis Arreyes was in the National League lineup because he's obviously, uh, in my opinion, one of the most underreported stories of the spring sports calendar year. The man is batting 397, 61 games played, folks. And we're not talking about him because he plays for the Miami Marlins, but at the very least. And the Marlins are good this year. The Marlins are good. The Marlins are good. What, they've won 12 of 14 or something like that? They're awesome. At the very least, don't tell me that they don't have fans because he's there. He got voted in. Well, just the first round as things stand. But I do want to get into this sticking with baseball. This is this is wild. I'm not sure if you watched this game last yeah, night. Yeah, I actually did watch a little bit but of it. It was great. Quinn Matthews, the pitcher right there, he put Stanford on his back alongside his shoulder and his elbow. Stanford pushed its NCAA baseball super regional against Texas to a third game thanks to a 16-strikeout performance from Matthews and an 8-3 win that saw him throw a complete game on 156 pitches. This comes on the heels of Johns Hopkins University's Gabe Romano throwing 164 pitches in a complete game win over Lynchburg in the D3 title last week. Man, these are numbers that we do not see in baseball anymore. Once upon a time we did, but no longer do we. Is long-term health worth compromising for a championship? And I ask you that on the heels of finding out that Jacob DeGrom's going to need a second Tommy John surgery here. To me, this is just crazy that this was allowed to happen, especially in an NCAA tournament game. So two things. Uh, One, the old timers are uh, punching their fists in the air in joy because, you know, you can't guarantee tomorrow. You can't guarantee it's going to work out for him in the big leagues. But playing for your school and the name on your front of your chest is forever. So there's there's that uh, notion. Uh, yeah, okay. I will. Are I will, they going to be paying for his Tommy John surgery? Or well, no? that's the thing, John. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go the other way, which is Tommy John is a rite of passage now for pitchers. Essentially, yeah. It is a rite of passage. We are seeing that surgery take place earlier in careers than ever before. There's guys who go into college, and it's like, oh, well, they had Tommy John their senior year of high school, so, like, they're good. Like, I mean, I'll tell you this. Like, ACL tears, as we all know, like, they happen more prevalently in female soccer players than any other sport or gender. 
And like, yeah, it was weird to see like five or six of my teammates in high school all suffer the same exact injury, but it wasn't like a, oh, I hope my ACL pops. Um, so I can get it out of the way. Yeah, so I could get it out of the way. That's honestly what it's become with Tommy John. It's like, well, at least it's out of the way. Now I get a new arm. No, you don't. They, they didn't sever. They didn't saw it off and put a new one. So I, I just think that, unfortunately, society is embracing this. Oh, well, he's going to have to have Tommy so John anyways. Cool. Let's get it out of the way. I just think as a society, we've embraced that, and that's really sad. Yeah, I think we have accepted it as an inevitability, which I think is really dangerous. There should have absolutely been pitch limits here, especially in the NCAA tournament. I understand you didn't want to burn your bullpen going into a potential decisive game three in the series, but, again, compromising someone's long-term health for a short-term victory it's just not worth it it's just not worth it and i'm sure we're heralding this individual accomplishment because this was amazing we haven't seen this but that is so potentially damaging to that kid's long-term health and career i think years from now he'll look back and say what the hell was this what what did i do especially in game two of a super regional if it was game two of the college world series final then listen, I mean, flags fly forever. So you are making that. Okay. So you're done. No, no, at that stage, if it's the, if it is the, like, if it's the rubber match of the college world series, yeah, I would too, because flags fly forever. Um, In this situation though, where even if you win, you're still going to have to try, and then you have to win game three, and then you're going to trot them out there. If you advance in Omaha and what are you going to do then pitch them another 150? Right. It's it's a it's a hamster wheel. Yeah, I I hate all of that, quite frankly. And yeah, seeing what just happened with Jacob Degrom, it's so disheartening because we're talking about Jacob Degrom, who in his prime, if you're looking at his prime in a vacuum, might have been the most dominant pitcher in Major League Baseball history in terms of his sheer effectiveness. He's probably not going to Cooperstown because he's going to have missed so much time due to injury. And look with the Rangers who are awesome this year by the way just got saddled with with this contract that they invested where now we're not seeing jacob Degrom again at minimum until the second half of next season if not longer but it's what they paid for they knew there was a chance that that's the problem with that's the cost of doing business and that's just the nature of pitchers and it's funny i was just reading um and we actually coincidentally will be getting to running backs here in a second um but pitchers and running backs, man, dime a dozen, ACL Achilles, Tommy John, just part of it. And if they don't come back from that injury at the same level, you find somebody else. It's sad for a perennial all-star like Jacob deGrom, but you look at, and granted this was not Tommy John, but Mike Soroka down in Atlanta. I mean, he was a guy that all the expectations, all the talent in the world and injuries just caught up to him. And it's sad that, you know, that's what we chalk it up to. Um, but again, this is the same culture that says that you need to have a Tommy John as a rite of passage. Uh, I think that's just a very unhealthy way to look at things at the end of the day, but it is what it is. Let's talk about those running backs, Mia, specifically this guy. Yeah, Saquon Barkley will skip Giants minicamp this week in search of a new contract. Uh, he was hit with the franchise tag. He has not signed his tender, um, but assuming that you know he eventually does before July 17th, he would then be on a one-year contract, which would be valued at a little over $11 million, just shy of 12, John. A lot is being made about him missing the voluntary OTAs and now the mandatory minicamp. 
Do we put too much stock into this stuff? Or is there reason to be concerned if you're a fan, the fact that Saquon didn't show up? Well, there is one reason to be concerned, and his name is Le'Veon Bell. And we saw what happened with him where he held out the entire season, didn't play, and then that was essentially it for his prime. He was done. He was over. That was it. And he got paid, which is good for him. But the career was squandered at that juncture. And Saquon is now reaching that point in his career where I understand the Giants' hesitance to go long-term with him, but also he has earned the right to a high-paying contract based off his productivity last year and what they're hoping to get out of him this year. So if you're a fan, uh, is there a reason for concern? I don't think in June there is, but maybe another month passes by and we start approaching August camp. All of a sudden, you still don't have a long-term deal locked up. Yeah, I'd start to get concerned. What say you? So I'll bring this closer to home um, because Evan Ingram, former New York Giant, now with the Jacksonville Jaguars, has also been hit with the franchise tag. He has not signed his franchise tender, so he is not at mandatory minicamp this week. But a lot of that is just due to the fact that he's not technically under contract, just like Saquon. Um, So in reality, if he's not under contract and he's not getting paid, then he doesn't have to be there, Um, which is the same thing with Saquon. With that said... Evan Ingram has gone on multiple podcasts, multiple television shows in the last three months and basically pledged his undying love to the Jacksonville Jaguars and what they did for his career. Um, and from what I've been told, it was it's a situation where both sides are like, well, you know, we're just trying to figure out numbers and cents. For, and not like the company line either. I genuinely, and this was with all due respect to Evan's agent, I just think his agent fumbled the bag and now they're stuck back at this crossroads of sorts. Um, and, and hopefully they get it done before July 17th because he actively is saying he wants to. That's where the Saquon situation is fascinating because there's certainly something to be said of if you don't believe in yourself and the standard and bet on yourself, then no one else will. But at the same time, the, some of those comments he made at that autograph signing this past weekend in New Jersey, John, kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit of, he doesn't want to be there if he ain't getting paid, which I don't blame him. Evan Ingram, I think, wants to be there. You know, obviously he wants to get paid too, but like it's clear, like he's he's has both. He has a foot in each puddle. Um, Saquon's kind of like, if you ain't gonna pay me, trade me. And and how can you blame him for that, right? Because as you said before, I yep. think he recognizes that as a running back, he's in the back end of his prime right now. And if you're a running back with the talent of Saquon Barkley, who never gets the opportunity to cash in on everything you've built up and your natural talent, well, then that's a career that's left squandered. I understand his perspective entirely. And the Giants, not this front office, but the previous front office, well, they, uh, there's, there's a more lewd term to describe this, but they essentially danced around everything that was going on with him and Daniel Jones for years where this mess could have been avoided and they wouldn't have needed to find themselves in a situation like this. But instead, they do find themselves in a situation like this because they didn't. And that's the other part of it, too, John, by the way, just because just because you brought up Daniel Jones. That didn't happen here in Jacksonville where Evan Ingram is watching someone else get a deal and he doesn't. Uh, I think for Saquon, as much as he wants a longer term deal than what Daniel Jones agreed to just shy of free agency opening up back in March. Um, the fact of the matter is, is they chose to negotiate with D- with Danny Dimes and said, we're slapping franchise tag on Saquon. 
But it's and also it, understandable. There is a difference between your franchise quarterback and your running back. Correct, because the franchise tag for a quarterback is, I believe, more I'm than 35. I'm talking about your long-term play. Correct. It's both. It's both. So, you know, I mean, but is it a slap in the face that they're willing to do business with one guy and not the other? Yes, even if the reality is they are always going to pick the quarterback because it's a quarterback-driven league, and they are never going to pick the running back because running backs have such a short shelf life in 2023. Um, I'll tell you this, the breaking news just in the last two hours that, you know, the Patriots released James Robinson. Thousand-yard rusher his rookie year with the Jags. Tears his Achilles. My, my dude. But guess what? Apparently the Patriots released him, even though they signed him to a two-year deal with some pretty good incentives and money. But they released him because apparently they had physicals today and they found something that they didn't like. Right. And it doesn't matter that you're a thousand-yard rusher and that on the depth chart up in New England, you were slated to be the one-two with Ramondre Stevenson just because that's the nature of the position. Kyle Shanahan, I love the man. I love what he's done for the sport, how it's opened up the offense. But the reality is because he has made running backs essentially a dime a dozen because they keep a stable of four of them in San Francisco outside of Christian McCaffrey, of course, and they just rotate him in. He finds Raheem Mostert on the street. Now everybody thinks they can do that. And so that's where Saquon, for as much as he's a talent, way, way superior to that. It's just the nature of the position in this day and age. We got one more topic before our beast of the week. I really want to hear your guys' comments on this topic because I think it's really interesting. Leave that super chat on YouTube or kyonchat.com. All right, Mia, this is a fun one to round us out here. That is the Wayne Gretzky jersey from Mm -hmm. the New York Rangers. He's been pretty good, by the way, in the TNT coverage. Yeah, yeah, he's good. He just wasn't a good head coach. But the autographed last <laughs> NHL jersey ever worn by Wayne Gretzky sold for $715,120 with gray flannel auctions Sunday night. It was the highest sale price for a U.S.-based hockey jersey, eclipsing Michael Ruzioni's 1980 Miracle on Ice jersey that sold for $657,250 in 2013. So I want to know, what is one piece of sports memorabilia that you would fork out loads of cash for, of course, if you had the resources to do so. Yeah, see, that's the thing is, like, I've never been... But I'm like, just a hypothetical scenario here, Mia. I'm not yeah. a collector. I'm a stadium memorabilia collector. That's right. what I mean. I love stadium memorabilia. But what is, if anything... It, Mia, you just won the lottery. You're ready to fork over money because you want a really cool sports artifact. What is it? A really cool sports artifact. What are you willing um, to pay big for? Hmm. I mean, my assumption would just be, I do, I do like jerseys. I do like them. I don't know if I would, the problem is, is I don't know if I would wear a jersey that is autographed. No one says you got to wear it. Right. You got to frame it. Hey, you got spot back there. It'd be, I could see a spot for a nice frame yeah. jersey. Could fit yeah. right there. I'm not like, like oh, you can't see it over on this wall. I'm the type of have all my like baseball ticket stubs, mm-hmm. you know, like that's right. not. I'm more of that. Um, I guess the only signed baseball I ever got, um, I think I shared this before. Um, Flash Gordon gave it to me uh, in his, uh, it was at a Mets game. I forget if it's the Mets and the Yankees, the Mets and who. Um, he handed it to me during batting practice, but then I was too afraid to ask him to sign it. And so Mr. Mets signed it. Um, so that's where I'm at in terms of asking for autographs uh, in this day and age. No, I would probably say like Aaron judges, like 60 second home run ball like that. I would probably something like that. Um, I, like I, I would put that in a place of honor. 
Um, I mean, if you go back to like something with uh, 2019 Women's World Cup team, I think they're going to go down as one of the greatest soccer teams ever assembled on the women's front. Like I would take, you know, all their signatures on like a jersey of that. Um, I guess, too, with jerseys, like we were we actually was saying last night that I think right now one of the best kits out there is actually the New York Liberty. Like I would take a Ionescu, uh, the city jersey that they have going right now. I would take one of those signs. And no disrespect to that, but that's what you'd be spending all your money on? Like that, like no, I would be spending my money on a house well, and vacation. Uh, you're dancing around this. All right. If I'm picking one thing, it comes down to two for me. Number one, I let me actually. I'll say this, John. I wouldn't spend money. I would spend money on going to games. Okay, that's what I would spend money. Dancing around the topic, but whatever. I'll let you off. Here's mine. I'm doing one of two things. Number one, I would want an entire cutout locker from the original Yankee Stadium. Right now, they've got Thurman Munson's on display at Yankee Stadium. I would buy that shit. I'd buy that thing right away. That's what I'm taking care of. Uh, Number two. I would want, because I think it's the greatest defensive play I've ever seen with my eyes, I would want the basketball that LeBron James blocked in Game 7 of the 2016 NBA Finals. I think it's the greatest defensive play you and I will ever see in our lifetimes in, in on the basketball court. And I would want that to be framed. Uh, if it was signed, sure, okay, even better. It increases the value. But that's what I'm going with. You can't give me one thing, Mia. Just like no, because I'd rather go to a. I'd rather spend all my like money. Trevor Lawrence's first touchdown pass. I know you love Trevor Chris Manhurts. Fun facts. That'll be a great trivia fact down the road. Um, Canisius College forever. Uh, no, I like. I would much rather use that money and go to all those games. I'd rather go to like have a front row. I'd rather be Marlins man. I'd rather take all my money and be Marlins man. What about? Would you like? Some stadium seats to create a Mia. Yeah, that would be cool. I put that in a man cave. Yeah, like or a women cave. Yeah, I would do that. Where the Mia cave? Where are you getting seats from? Uh, Yankee Stadium. Uh, uh, Kinnick has a bench, so that's a no. Um, Staples Center before it became crypto. Um, I want the cushy seats from Mercedes Benz because they're cushy. Um, You've got interesting or Jerry world. That. Okay. Right. I'm just much more of an experience. Like I see these people that spent all this money on an art, like to what? To just put it up on the wall. I, listen, I'm an experience. And again, guy. we also are. And the other thing too, John, like I'll walk you through kind of what I got back there. Um, we are lucky in that we work in the sports field. So like that, this, that, the, so that's actually a, March Madness whiteboard bracket that I designed when I was interning at ESPN and Dick Vitale signed the back of it. Um, then I've got, uh, what do I got? That's from, uh, I have the Hall of Fame, my ticket to the NF Pro Football Hall of Fame and Tony Baselli signed it, Hall of Famer. Um, I've got a cricket ball from some cricket player from when I was in uh, studying abroad in London. Uh, so like, again, I have, th- uh, that's actually a, golf ball that I believe it was Tiger Woods from 2013 PGA championship threw at me. So like, again, I like, like I like things that like I just acquire through my travels and I make the most of them. And there's stories behind them as opposed to just, I spent $700,000 and bid on Wayne Gretzky signed Jersey. Okay. Well, it's time for the beast of the week. Mia, what is the most beastly thing you saw out there this week? 
Hands down, Nick Taylor, yeah. the Canadian man. Oh, my goodness. 72-foot putt eagle to win in a playoff over Tommy Fleetwood. First time since 1954, John Alba, that a Canadian has won the RBC Canadian yeah. Open. What an epic finish. Uh, I feel bad for Tommy Fleetwood because he's always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Um, but even he, I think, had to laugh that one off. And the fact that they charged the fans charged 18 uh, Green, it was just fantastic. And I think your beast of the week is going to have a tie to this, uh, if I can make a prediction. I- is it Jim Nance for his call? Right, Jim Nance had a fantastic call, no doubt about that. It was definitely uh, outstanding. I, Nick Taylor was going to be mine as well, but I figured you would be taking him, so I actually came up with a backup option for this week, and that, of course, is that it's Grimace's birthday today, okay? And I love me some Grimace. This has been all over the Internet. This is the greatest moment of my life. I covered uh, the Maine McDonald's All-Star Game back in 2018, and I got to meet the legend himself, the beast of the century, Grimace. Have you ever met Grimace, Mia? I have not, but I want to. I also want to meet the Hamburglar. Yeah, the Hamburglar, he just causes trouble. But Grimace! I mean, look at that. Do you see? That is genuine. I would spend money to meet. I would spend money to meet Grimace. I enjoy experiences and meeting me. I was really sad at the Coca-Cola Museum this weekend. Forgot to go meet the peng or the the polar bear. I was really sad about that. Yeah. No, honestly, like my actual beast of the week, uh, it it, it would be a tie. There there were two in particular. And actually, our our chat both just mentioned uh, Ellie De La Cruz has been insane for yep. the Cincinnati Reds in his debut. And Amanda Nunes retiring at the top of her game, double GOAT, double champion, greatest ever to do it. They're going to have to stop a division because there's no yeah. one else, like, because uh, she just, just basically amazing. closed it out. Just amazing stuff from her. And uh, what's next for her? She'll be a big major crossover star. So big ups to her and big ups to all of you who tuned in to Out of Bounds this week. Anything else you want to say, Mia? No, I think Amanda Nunez is a great pick just because I think, you know, how many people actually get that fairy tale an- ending like she did? I mean, they the really most dominant don't. athlete ever in her sport. And to actually be able to ride off to the sunset. Like, Habib, I guess, is the most recent example in the UFC. I always go back to Jerome Bettis, Peyton Manning to an extent as well. Um, but look at Tom Brady. Look what happens when so many of these athletes bet on, yeah, 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 yeah I can win. I can win again. And they don't get that fairy tale ending. So happy that she did, even if it was a north of the border in Canada. A eh? big weekend up there. This has been out of bounds. She's me. I'm John. We'll see you next week right here on Know Your News. Roses are red. Violets are blue. I click the subscribe button. You really should too. If you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now. <laughs> 